Hey, if you need a Bible this morning, we have some in the back. If you need one, forgot your Bible at home or don't have a Bible, please just raise your hand. We'll make sure that you get a copy of God's Word to follow along with us this morning. If you need a Bible, a couple guys up here. Minna forgot her Bible. Oh, I'm just kidding, Minna. Minna, just kidding. Good. If you grab your Bible, let's go ahead and open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to continue in this letter to Timothy. It's not fun to be excluded, is it? It's... uh, It's hard when that happens, when we want to be in uh, a certain group or we would like to be a part of, uh, you know, a a, a certain people. And it's hard to have them ignore you. It's not fun to have them even be rude to you. I don't think anybody really likes that, enjoys being excluded or to be cut off from a, a particular group that you'd like to be a part of. And you know, this strange thing happens from time to time. People, when they finally are accepted, when they become part of that group or they're allowed to be on that team or whatever it is, they immediately forget what it was like to be excluded. Now that they finally belong, now that they're accepted and fit in, they've forgotten about others who are excluded. They may treat people how they used to be treated. They may ignore others, those who are on the outside, or they flat out forget about them because, after all, they're on the inside now. They're a a part of, of the group. In a similar way, I think Christians can do the same thing. And I don't mean that we divide into groups and clicks and exclude people, although that definitely does happen. And I don't mean that we play favorites or show partiality, and and of course that happens too, and it really shouldn't. I mean that Christians can forget what it's like to be an unbeliever. Now that they're saved, now that they're this new creation, now that they're someone who's on the inside and a part of God's kingdom, they can forget what it's like to be on the outside. We're all capable of forgetting those who are excluded. More than anything, our sense of belonging, sometimes it causes us to forget Forget those on the outside to forget the mission. And and Christians can neglect unbelievers. They can neglect the lost. They can forget about them, forgetting that, boy, they used to be one. And I know that we have a lot of young believers, young Christians in this room. And I want to be helpful this morning. I want us to be reminded of the mission that's before us. How should we think about the lost? What mindset should we have towards unbelievers? And the mission is its really simple. And this mindset we need, it's so clear in our text this morning 
The good news of salvation is for everyone. And our mission is to tell as many people as we can. In fact, that's our, our big idea. Salvation is, it's for everyone. In other words, we need this reminder. We cannot forget about unbelievers. Yes, we're grateful to, to be saved and to be a part of God's family, but we cannot forget about unbelievers. We must remember to pray for their salvation and to be willing to be used by God to share the good news with them. I think we need this reminder to think about those who are on the outside, to think about the lost, to think about unbelievers way more than we do. And let's read our text this morning and see why this is true. We'll start in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. God's word says this, First of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what's proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Paul begins this second chapter with, with helpful instruction for the believers in this church in Ephesus. And this instruction, it's it's really critical for us as well. Here is the mindset that, that Christians need, that believers should have towards the lost. And it begins in verse 1 with praying for the lost. We see this evangelistic call to prayer. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all People Notice that Paul covers all types of prayer, and he also covers all types of people. That's important. We're to beg God. That's what supplications are about. We're to ask God in prayer. We're to ask him to work in the lives of other people, intercessions. We're to be thankful, not only for his work in our lives, but thankful as we watch God work in the lives of other people around us that we would recognize that and be, be thankful for it. We need to incorporate this type of, of praying, but it's for all people. Paul wants his reader 
to recognize the needs of really the world and to embrace the lost through prayer that they would come to know the truth about God and their need for the gospel. This is the kind of of praying that we're to engage in. Our mindset towards the lost, it should have us praying for them. And not only praying, but also living. That's point two, living for the lost. Paul writes in verse two, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. It's not a, a prayer for a, you know, a happy, easy life. That's not what he's talking about when he, when he highlights this peaceful, quiet life. It's not a prayer for, for a trouble-free week. But this is rather a prayer for those in power and those in authority, those in government to allow such conditions in which Christians could live like Christians. That's what Paul's encouraging them to pray for. Wanted to encourage these believers to pray for their leaders and their officials. Why? So that they could be able to to live the way Christ called them to live. That that they would be able to be free to do that, to be this example of a, a Christian so that the lost could see the difference. So that those who are unbelievers, those who are lost might look at their life and want to follow Christ as well, want to be a Christian like they are. Is Paul making this up? Are are Christians, you know, to to be the example to the lost? Yes, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he says, you're the salt of the earth, verse 14, you're the light of the world. Verse 16, let your light shine before others. Why? Well, Jesus said, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Paul directing these Christians to pray this way. It's in perfect step with what Jesus taught. We're to pray that our culture, our life might find these right conditions so that we can be the salt that we're supposed to be, so that we can be the light that we're, we're called to be. And the whole point for that is so that the lost could see our example. They could look at our exemplary life and they too might come to saving faith, which ultimately brings God glory. I think we really need this reminder to be cautious of the way that we live. I think we really need uh, this reminder to think about, is my life the example that it should be? Am I living the way that God calls me to live? Would my friends be surprised to know that I'm a Christian? Or, I mean, do they already know? Can they tell by the words that I use or maybe rather the words that I don't use? Can they tell that something's different about me? Can they tell that I'm a Christian by my actions, by the stuff that I I do or maybe the things that I stay away from? Not only do we need to increase our efforts to pray for the lost, but we need to increase our effort to consider our example in front of them. 
If you're truly saved, then you must recognize that your life is a constant example of Christianity. Either way, it's going to show them something to to follow. It's going to show them something about Christ. It's either going to draw them towards him or it's going to push them away. It's going to make Jesus attractive or your life is going to make Christianity like undesirable. And I love how these two are connected here. Interesting how the mindset for the lost can motivate us to a life of of righteousness, a life of living how we're supposed to live. If your prayers are more focused on the lost, I guarantee you, you're going to be more mindful of how you're living in front of them. If the lost are a priority for me with God, when I pray to him, boy, I just think I'm going to be more mindful in that moment when I come across an unbeliever. If I'm praying and asking God to to use my day, use my life to to have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who needs to hear it, I'm going to be more aware of when I interact with unbelievers. I'm going to be more mindful of the the cashier at Trader Joe's or the waitress at, at this restaurant. And you might find if you start praying for the lost I think you're going to be more aware of your neighbors and classmates and teammates who need to hear the truth about Christ and about their sin and about what he did on the cross to pay for it. What would happen if we began to pray for the lost the way that God's word calls us to? What would happen if we began to be more mindful of our example, of our life to the lost around us, and not just our close friends, not just our family, but learning from Paul here, all people, all who need Christ. What if we prayed for our leaders and our governors and our senators and our president? What if we were to pray for their salvation? What if we prayed for the right conditions to allow us to live our Christian life to its fullest? What if we prayed for the lost more than we prayed for ourselves? Think about how that might shift our just daily perspective. If we were to pray that God would use us to share his gospel with someone today, would it change the way you talk would it, would it change the way that you act? Would it cause you to second guess some of the things that you're doing? Would you be more mindful of your example of Christ and his light to this dark and lost world? You guys, this is why Paul instructs these believers in Ephesus to do this, to pray for the lost and to live for the lost. This is the mindset that God wants for you, young Christian, to be more mindful of eternity, to be more aware of souls around you that are just, they're just flirting with eternal hell. If you're a Christian, then I'm so grateful. I rejoice with you that that you truly are saved but don't let your salvation cause you to forget about the lost. 
Don't let your citizenship in heaven cause you to neglect those who aren't. We must keep this mindset. So where does this come from? How is it that Paul can call us to to think this way, to pray for the lost and live for the lost? It's just like his personal idea, his conviction. Well, not at all. Verse 3 gives us the, and really our third point, motivation for the lost or, or motivation for this mindset. It says this is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Why should we pray for the lost? Why should we live for the lost? I mean, three reasons right here. Number one, God's desire. God's desire, verse 3 says, this is good. And not only is it good, but it's pleasing in the sight of God, who, by the way, is our Savior. And this Savior of ours, verse 4 says, desires all people to be saved. And that's a great reminder for you here this morning. If you're not a Christian, if you don't think that you'll ever belong to this family of God or this kingdom of God, you need to know that God wants you to belong. He wants you to be saved. His desire is for you to be saved. Jesus Christ desires all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. And it's easy for people to forget this and think, you know, God only saved me or that maybe God only saves people like me. It's easy for our sinful hearts to do that. They're way more than capable of thinking that way. They really always have been. You know the story of Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, basically a place full of, you know, his enemies, his worst nightmare kind of people. Jonah went the opposite direction. He didn't want to go until he found himself in the belly of that great fish and decided, maybe I should listen to God. This would be a good time to just listen to the Lord. So he agrees to do what God wants. But what's the reason? Why the hesitation? Why does he want to get as far away from Nineveh as possible? Well, Jonah chapter 3 We'll just pick it up in verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And it was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. And Jonah began to go into the city, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he said. And it says in verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, this weird out-of-place verse, it says, this thing displeased Jonah. Actually, it says exceedingly, and he was angry. 
angry that God saved these people. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Here's the heart of a man who didn't want to share this kingdom status with his enemy. He didn't want salvation to be for people who were not like him. This is the, this is the heart that all of us are capable of having. I'd rather die than see the Ninevites be saved. We're the same way. Our, God, our hearts lead us away from God's desire. And what is that? That God wants all people to be saved. We might think the same way that this person, I don't, I don't want to invite them to church. They're, they're annoying. They're, they're the worst. I don't want them to, to be a part of my, you know, my youth group. I don't want to share the gospel with them. We learn in, in God's desire here, all people can be saved because of what Christ did, because of what our Savior did. John 3.16 tells us that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This gospel makes available salvation, this gift of grace. God's love is on display to send his son. Why? Well, we learned in chapter one, why? Chapter one, verse 15 says it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. God's desire here is that all people would be saved. Because this is God's desire, Paul knew he'd He would do his part to preach the gospel and tell the world what Jesus had done for him and for them. And he took his role seriously. He dedicated the rest of his days to the great commission found in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations. Paul knew what the Lord wanted him to do. He says in Acts chapter 13, verse 47, the Lord has commanded us saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles or the godless that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's all people. That's people who are different from you. God's desire, it motivates our thoughts for the lost. It motivates our prayers and actions And like Paul, we want to share the good news of salvation with as many people as we can. Quickly, more than God's desire alone, we also have this description. It's kind of a second point. God's description can motivate us. Verse 5, there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Paul just unpacks in verse 5 so much about the gospel and who God is. And it's, we could just, we could camp here for weeks, but let's just go through it quickly. This God is one God. There's no other God. 
Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There isn't our God and their God. There isn't a God just for me and a God for other people to save them. There's one God, and this God desires that all would be saved doesn't matter what country you live in. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how different you might be from that person. God desires you to be saved, and he desires that person to be saved too. Just as there is only one God, there's only one Savior, one mediator, he says. This person in between God and us. Emphasis here in The language is the word one. Jesus is the only one. He's the only way that we have access to the Father. John 14, 6 says that. Jesus, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what Jesus clearly taught. He's the mediator. His payment covers all who believe all who have believed, all who will believe. God's desire and his description both motivate us, or they should, to be more evangelistic. They motivate us to wake up to the needs of the lost, to not forget them, to not ignore them, to be grateful that we're saved, but to remember that many are not And as Paul tells us about his assignment from God in verse 7, we're to understand our task is so similar here. Like Paul, we must be willing to be used by God to tell others about the gospel, to pray for them, to live our lives the right way in front of them so that many of them would come to genuine faith, genuine knowledge of the truth. That's what it's about in these These last few verses almost sound like a repeat. Like the instructions on a shampoo bottle. Wash, rinse, repeat. That's really what this is right here. Point four, let's just call it that. Pray, live, repeat. This is repetition to make sure that we don't miss it. So Paul highlights again prayer and living. He says, I desire in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And then some instruction for the ladies on the way that they're dressing. These are the same instructions Paul began chapter 2 with, only this time it's just a little more specific. He's addressing some specifics in the Ephesian church. Likely the the guys or, or even all the people in that church were upset at who was showing up, who's getting saved, and it was affecting their prayer life. It was affecting their fellowship. They were angry and quarreling with each other, and the way they were living was a a little issue as well. They need to live for the lost, just like they needed to pray for the lost. All this stuff about the ladies' dress, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty simple. They were just dressing like the like the ladies in the Roman court. They were dressing as fancy as they could, but they were mirroring the world. And it was more confusing to the lost than it was helpful. So what do we learn? Well, 
God's people should pray. And when we pray, we need the right attitude. We can't have Jonah's attitude. We need to remember God's desire. We need to remember who our God is and what he is like and what he has done. We can't be angry at what God is doing. Can't be angry that that God is bringing that person into our, maybe our church, maybe our youth group. We have to be excited and thankful for what he's doing. We can't be fighting with each other about the lost. We need to pray for everybody, especially the lost We must pray with the right attitude and lifestyle matters as well. Let me just expand it a little bit and take us to Colossians 3, which really is the principle. Colossians 3 verse 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How you dress, how you talk, how you work, how you go to school, how you do everything. You you do it all recognizing that I represent my Savior, I represent Christ to the world around me. We do everything now in the name of Christ. All of our words, actions, thoughts, they all must be conformed. They all must be changed. And we do that just remembering that we've been repurposed. We are new creations. We are in God's kingdom. We belong to him. And God says, go, be the example Pray for others, tell others, be salt, be light, make disciples among all nations. Like Paul said in Acts, go all the way, go to the ends of the earth. Do this until I return. It's such a good text for us here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. You're never too young to do this. You're never too young to start praying for the lost, to start living your life for the lost. I mean, there's so much application here, but let me just, let me just set a few questions before you as we close. Who do you know that you need to be praying for? Who in your life is lost that you need to be praying for? Who do you need to be, to be living for? Who's God placed in your life that's lost, that needs your prayers, that needs your example? Return us to our big idea. Salvation is for everyone. Pray for them. Live for them. It's good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Oh, that God would use us to reach the lost. Father, thank you for our text this morning. It's a great reminder. It's one that we need to think about better. Father, help us to engage with the lost the way that you call us to. Lord, we need to to think of them more than we do. We need to pray for them more than we do. We need to live for them more than we do. God, change our hearts, change our desires to do that. Lord, I I know there are some in here this morning who aren't saved. Even though we were mainly talking to Christians this morning, I pray that your, your word would have its work in their life too. That they might be shocked and stunned that you want them to be saved. That that thought would just stick with them today 
in this week that they wouldn't be able to stop thinking about it, that you want them to be saved. Father, help your gospel have its full measure, its full effect in their life. God, I pray that you would use a text like this to bring many who are lost into your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.